Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 117, cultivating a heart of praise is what I wanted to call this one. Why, why have I chosen this psalm? Well, as has been mentioned really in the prayers and the things that have been said this morning, our, our world is very chaotic at the moment, isn't it? It's always changing. And uh, if you follow the news, it, it doesn't paint a pretty picture, does it, at the minute? And more and more, I, I hear people saying, I hear it at my workplace, people saying, what is going on with the world? The world's crazy, what is going on? People can't understand it. It is, isn't it? And on top of that, you know, life is difficult as well, in general, isn't it? Life can be very difficult. No matter what's going on out there, the stuff that's going on in our own lives, isn't there? You know, things can happen in our lives that are unexpected. It might be you've discovered a health condition, or maybe there's been the death of a loved one in, in your family. Maybe you're having difficulties in your marriage, or with difficulties with people at work. Maybe you're going through financial difficulties. Maybe you're struggling with mental health and you feel like you're having a battle in your own body. And sometimes what's going on in, in our own lives and in the world around us can just become very heavy, can't it? And it can cause us to be weighed down with negativity. You can be, feel overwhelmed, can't you? And you, you can come on a Sunday like this morning, and quite frankly, you could come in here and you just, you're just not in the mood, are you? You're just not in the mood to praise it. We've all been there. But that's because we've taken our eyes off the Lord. We've stopped thinking about what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing every day in our world and in our lives. And this psalm, it helps us. It helps us to take our eyes off ourselves and on to the one who is in control of all things. It helps us to take our eyes off what's going on around us and to focus onto God, onto who he is. Because he is the one constant in a world that is always changing. This psalm, it's, it's very short. It's the shortest psalm in the whole book of Psalms. It's the shortest chapter, if you want to call it a chapter, in the whole Bible. It's one of those that perhaps if this came up in your daily reading, you might quickly read through it and then maybe move on to another psalm. But don't let, the, don't let how short it is fool you. It's short, but it carries a message of huge significance. One that you and I have the privilege of sharing in today. We can learn a lot from this psalm. Martin Luther, the uh, Protestant reformer, he wrote a commentary on this psalm that was 36 pages long. 36 pages. Now thankfully my sermon is not 36 pages. But that's how much depth there is in this psalm. So this morning I want us to open up this psalm together and, and give you three truths that will help you cultivate a heart of praise in what is a very negative world. 
And the first truth is this. Praise God. Praise God that he called you and chose you in Christ, even though you were far away from him. Let's look at verse 1. Look, look with me at verse 1. He says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. The book of Psalms are the songs and the prayers of, of Israel. And there's all sorts of songs and prayers in there. There's, there's songs of lament and sorrow. There's songs of thanksgiving. There's uh, requests for prayer for illnesses. There is uh, prayers against uh, the enemies of God, prayers for the enemies of God. There's devotionals, there's reflections on God's goodness to Israel. But this psalm is actually quite unique as the psalmist looks beyond just God's dealings with Israel. He looks beyond the borders of Israel and looks at God's dealings with the whole world. God isn't just the God of Israel, but he's the God of all nations and all peoples. And so he begins the, the psalm with a universal call to praise. Praise the Lord, all nations. It's an invite to all nations and all people everywhere to come and praise God. My, my wife is from Malaysia and we, we try to go back uh, every year or every other year and it's really interesting in Malaysia because you get there's this uh, general perception that God is he's a western God you know the Chinese have uh, their sort of traditional gods there's Buddhism there's Taoism there's philosophies like Confucianism the local people Malay are, are Muslim and the, the, the Indian population there these are all significant populations there uh, mainly are Hindus with their however million gods but the God of the Bible is seen as a western God why? I think it's because missionaries mainly western missionaries went to Southeast Asia to bring the gospel to them so there's this perception that oh God is a he, he, that's who the westerners worship he's a western God but you know, he's the God of all nations and all peoples. He's God over all those people in Malaysia, even though they don't acknowledge him. He's God over the United Kingdom and everyone here, even though everyone in our country doesn't acknowledge him. He's God over your country, wherever you're from, even if they don't know him. God has never been just the God over only one people. Or he's never only ever cared about one nation. He created all people. All the different nations and languages and cultures of the world belong to him. And he cares about this world and all the people in it. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world." And all who live in it. But you see, this psalm isn't just a song of praise. It's also prophecy. All the nations at that time did not know the, the God of Israel. And they certainly weren't praising him. 
The Holy Spirit, through the Psalmist, was pointing to a future time when people of all nations would come and praise God. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, actually quotes this verse in Psalm 117, verse 1. And he quotes it to the Roman church, who were a mixed bunch of people, Jews, uh, the Roman people, people from surrounding areas. And he quotes it to show that what Jesus did on the cross was part of God's plan to show mercy to all peoples so that all people would come and praise him. Romans 15, 8 to 11, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. My friends, you and I are living in a time right now, today, where this psalm is being fulfilled. Just look around you in this church. How many of you are from different countries? Put your hand up if you're not from the UK. Look at that. It's almost almost half the church. Put your hand up if if you're not Jewish. That's, that's almost all of us, or a significant majority. Look at that, all the nations, all people from different countries. And yet here we are, as one people, to praise God for his mercy to us in Jesus. And you know, even in all the chaos we sometimes see around us, God is still at work in our world. He's still at work in your country. He's still at work in your life. He's still at work rescuing, redeeming, saving people from all the nations and bringing them together as one people to praise him. You see, God is building a new humanity in Jesus from all the nations and all the peoples of the world, including you. Including you. There was a time in your life where you didn't know God either. And you were far away from him because of your sins. But God called you, didn't he? God chose you. God brought the good news of Jesus to you. Not because you were worthy of being chosen or done anything to make him choose you. Quite the opposite. He chose you and brought you near to him because of his mercy and grace. Ephesians 2, 12 to 13 says, Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Where would you be today, even this morning, if God had not come into your life and turned you around from the life you were living? You'd still be far away from him, wouldn't you? If it had not been for Jesus Christ. That's something to praise God for, isn't it? 
Without him, our world is hopeless. But he has called you out of the world and he's given you a hope. He's given you a purpose. He's given you meaning. He's given you a reason to live. I love that song. It says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. It can be very easy to forget what a privilege it is to be a child of God. To be called out, to be chosen, despite all your faults and failings. Are you still thankful to God today that he brought you near to him? Because you have what many in this world don't have, but so desperately need. We can all come and praise God together, just like in this psalm, because of the blood of Jesus shed for us. What unites us in our praise is not our nationality, it's not our culture, it's not even having the same opinions on things or the same worship style or preferences. What unites us, all of us, in this room together, in praise, is the one whom we praise. The merciful God who brought you near when you were far away from him. Notice in the verse as well, notice in the text it says, praise the Lord, extol him. We don't praise a a set of theological truths or a concept. We praise a person. Praise is about praising him. And this word extol, we don't really use it, do we? I had to go on Google and go and look up the definition. But really what, what it means is to enthusiastically praise him to brag about him, to make much of him, to lift him high, to magnify him, to glorify him. Not just in church on a Sunday, not just in time, with song, anywhere, all the time, in our speech, in our actions. And the psalmist goes on to, not just to invite us all to praise, but to give us good reasons why we should praise God. Which leads us to the second truth that will help you cultivate a heart of praise to God, which is this. <coughs> praise God for his great and steadfast love that's been shown to you in Christ. So he says, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for, this is the reason why, for, great is his steadfast love towards us. As an Israelite, the the psalmist knew of God's great love because of how God continued to show it to Israel despite all their failures, despite their total inability to to live up to be his people. Time and time again, the, the people of Israel had turned away from God to worship other gods to the point where God had to judge them and kick them out of the land using other nations to judge them, to discipline them. They were utterly unworthy 
really, of the love that God showed them and continued to show them. They were a disobedient, unfaithful people. Stiff-necked is what the Lord said about them. Stubborn, unwilling to change. And yet, even in their rebellion, in darkest times, when they, when they were exiled from the land, God continued to still speak to them through the prophets to help Israel, to encourage them, to comfort them, to restore them. Promises of restoration to be their God and for them to be his people. And though Israel had treated God like their enemy, God did not abandon them, even in foreign lands. Any parents among you will know, no matter what your child does, oh, they can make us so angry, can't they? And sometimes they can really hurt us, can't they, with some of the things they do or say. But no matter what they do, you just continue loving them, don't you? You continue to be there for them. And that's just our love. The love of God is so much greater. And so the psalmist, in awe of God's love to Israel and his people, how enormous it was, how strong it was, he knew that if God was like that towards unfaithful Israel, then God's love was big enough for all the nations. But you see, Israel's story is no different to your story or mine. They were human, just like us. And you and I are the same as them. We've all treated God in the same way. We've all sinned against him. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned in the things we've said and thought and done. It's a bit like, um, you know, when you go to an amusement park or somewhere, and they always have them a measuring, measuring sign or stick, don't they, to get on a ride. And uh, it's, you have to meet the, the threshold, don't you? You have to meet the minimum height to, to go in and enter that ride. You have to be this tall to enter the ride. But you see, God's standard is, is so high, it's so holy, it's so perfect that none of us measure up. None of us can enter freely into God's presence. None of us can enter heaven. None of us can enter into a relationship with God by ourselves. We've all fallen short. Romans 3.23 says, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're an Israelite or a non-Israelite. It doesn't matter. All peoples, all nations, all individuals have blown it. We've all blown it. We've all turned away from God. And, and just like the Israelites, we've all made other things in our lives, our God. And made God our enemy. We are sinners by nature, choosing our own way and path. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. But you see, God's love is not like our human love. Our love can be very conditional. 
If someone wrongs us, our, our temptation is to have nothing to do with that person, isn't it? That's, our, that's the temptation we have. To have nothing to do with them anymore. But his love towards you is constant. It's immense. It's enormous. It's a love like no other. Bible translators really struggle in English to get across the immensity and power of God's love. Your Bible translation might say uh, steadfast love. The love of God is strong. It's steadfast. It's unfailing. It's merciful. It's kind. It's gracious. It's faithful. It's long-suffering. Loving kindness. We haven't got enough words. We haven't got the words to describe how great this love is. And it doesn't change. It doesn't go up or down. It doesn't change based on how we are. And just like with Israel, despite all, our, of all of our sin and all of its filthiness and ugliness, God's love towards you is so great, so gracious, that rather than moving away from you and having nothing to do with you, like well, that's what we would do, he draws near. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever in that world believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I know many Christians struggle to accept that God loves them. We've all got a lot of past hurts and hang-ups, haven't we? And I struggled with this as well in the past. For a long time, I remember. And I know even here this morning that there will be some of you who are not sure if God loves you. You're worried that just one more slip up and he's going to let you go. You can hide them in securities. When you're in a big crowd like this, you can hide it, can't you? But you can't hide it before God. can't hide your doubts and your worries before him and you shouldn't you shouldn't you can talk to him about these things it may be a particular sin that you're struggling with or maybe it's just a general outlook on yourself and on your life and you just think how could anyone possibly love this all this in me all this darkness how could anyone love this maybe you're going through really difficult circumstances or, or trials in your life right now and, and you're wondering does God still love me have I, have I done something wrong is that why things are so hard whatever it is you need to know this God has not left you in the dark to wonder whether he loves you or not God has demonstrated his love for you once and for all stamped it on the pages of history for all eternity He's done it in broad daylight for you to see so that you need never doubt his love for you. You see, when you were at your very worst, God gave you his very best. Listen to how Paul describes it. Romans 5, 6-8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Are you weak? Are you, un are you ungodly? Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely, Paul goes on, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you can identify today as ungodly, weak, a sinner, Christ died for you. He didn't die for the good and the righteous. He died for the unrighteous, the ungodly. He came, Jesus came willingly, sent by the Father. He went up that lonely hill, carrying that cross for you. He gave himself to be crucified on that cross for you. Not because you deserve it, but because of his mercy and grace. So no, whatever your circumstances are, God is not punishing you for your sins. Jesus took it all for you. That's mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve. That's mercy. Instead, he actually clothes you. We've been singing about it, haven't we? About the righteousness of God. He clothes you with the righteousness of his son. That's grace. Giving you what you don't deserve. That's grace. And his love for you now is not based on your performance. It's not based on how much you love him. It wasn't back then with Israel. And it isn't now with you. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, Peter wrote. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Paul wrote in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How great is this love for me and you today? He's already given you his only son. There's no need to doubt. God is not holding back from you, friend. Maybe you're holding back from him. Trust in his love. He's proven it to you through, literally through blood, sweat and tears. He's loved you to the death. And he's given you his spirit to open your eyes to it. Don't turn away from it. Take it all in. The truths of the, the gospel, they're like, they're like a def- defibrillator. I can never say that word. And it turns a, a heart of despair into a heart of praise. Boom! The hymn writer, uh, when this is Isaac Watts, I love this. When he was confronted with the love of Christ shown at the cross. He describes it like this. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. But drops of grief, talk about drop the tears, can never repay the, the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, 
I give myself away. There's all that I can do. You just gotta give yourself to him. He's given his whole self to you. The third truth that we see in this psalm that really helps to cultivate this heart of praise is is also found in verse 2. For great is the steadfast love of the Lord towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. I was really uh, amazed how many songs we sung this morning were about the faithfulness of God. I didn't choose the songs. Praise him for his faithfulness to you that never ends. Another thing that the psalmist praises God about is his faithfulness. You see, God was always faithful to Israel. There was never a word spoken that he didn't fulfill. There was never a promise made to them that he broke. What God says, he will always do. There's an adage that goes, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Because of the one who said it. You see, we're used to seeing promises being broken, aren't we? We've all let people down and have been let down. But God's faithfulness endures forever. No matter how hard or difficult something is, his faithfulness is is a solid rock. It, it, It endures through all things. God is utterly utterly dependable and that's what we're not seeing in our world everything seems to be falling away and in chaos but God is the constant one who's utterly dependable unchanging faithful forever and this love and mercy is something you can depend on not just for the rest of your life on earth but into eternity we'll be singing of God's faithfulness for eternity you see, God always keeps his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. <coughs> it is through him we say amen to God's glory. The Bible is full of promises from God to his people. Peter says in his second letter, he has given us very great and precious promises so when God says in Hebrews 13 5 I will never leave you or forsake you he will hold true to that promise no matter how you feel even on those days when you feel absolutely nothing and wonder if if God is even there he is there he is there because it does not depend on your feelings but on his faithfulness, which endures forever. And when scripture says in Philippians 1.6, he who started a good work in you will carry it on until the day of Christ. He will hold true to that promise. He will continue his work in you of making you more like Jesus Christ. No matter how many times you stumble or slip up, he will continue working in you he will hold on to you and keep you living for him until the end. So don't worry 
about what is to come in the future. Sometimes we, because of the state of the world, we can look around and think, oh, what's going to happen? Am I going to make it through? Will I be faithful to the end? No, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. His faithfulness endures forever. He has promised that he will see you through to the end. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will hold true to that promise as well. Can you see a pattern here? If you confess your sin, he will, he will forgive it. It doesn't matter how dirty, dark and black it is. He will forgive it. He won't go away and think about it and perhaps observe you for a while and see whether your repentance is good enough and then decide and hmm, make a decision about whether to forgive you. No! He will forgive you because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus took every sin on him. He paid the price for every sin. He will always forgive because his faithfulness endures forever. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, throw yourself upon God's faithfulness as you do upon your bed, bringing all your weariness to his dear rest. I love that. I love jumping on my bed and just, ah, that you do as well. And Spurgeon says, throw yourself with God's faithfulness like that. Ah, and rest in it. We are human. We do get weary and tired. We most certainly do have our off days. I know I do. But praise God that he's never had an off day. God's faithfulness, as Spurgeon said, gives you relief and rest. Because he will do what he's promised. Don't need to be anxious about whether he's going to do something or not. He will do it. And finally, just look at this last point. The psalmist finishes the song with the same way that he started it. Hallelujah. It literally says hallelujah in Hebrew. Praise the Lord. And as the psalmist meditates on just how incredible God's love is and how rock solid and dependable God's faithfulness is his heart is filled with praise you know there's not a single truth about God in the Bible that you can't praise him about not a single one a heart filled with the truth of God will be a heart filled with praise for God but you must apply that truth first. It's no good just it just sitting in your head. It's got to go down into your heart. And the truth about God's great love and faithfulness, it, it leads us to Jesus Christ in praise. You notice that in the song? Starts with praise, ends in praise. David in the Psalm 26 said, Test me, Lord, try me. Examine my heart and mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. And just a few verses later, he says, I go around your altar, Lord. You can imagine, can't you, going around the 
the altar where they put the sacrifice on. He says, I go around your altar, Lord, raising my voice in thanksgiving and telling of your wondrous works. He goes from meditating on the love of God, the faithfulness of God, to praising God. We always have something to praise God about, friends. And the psalmist himself, we don't know what he was feeling at that time, but despite, that, I suppose that's not the point really, despite whatever he felt, or whatever Israel's failings were, he was able to praise, not because of that stuff in his life, but because of who God is. Perhaps you came in here this morning with a heavy heart. My friends, God's love to you in Christ is immense. Even in that very heavy state that you feel. His love never changes. His faithfulness is forever. He, he will always do what he says. Take your eyes off yourself this morning and onto the Lord and his love for you. Come this morning, come and dump all your worries and cares at the foot of the cross. Let him fill you with a heart of praise. Isaiah 61.3 says that God will comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. If you have a spirit of despair, God wants to clothe you with a garment of praise. So cultivate a heart of praise. Meditate on the love and faithfulness of God. Especially when you don't feel like it. Hebrews 13 15 says, Therefore, through him, through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. Do you confess his name this morning? Then the fruit in your life should be praise. Praise. And it's a sacrifice sometimes. It's costly. It hurts. It requires giving yourself. I'll just finish with um, the words from Psalm 42. I'm sure it's been a comfort to many of the psalm has. I know it has to me. And in that psalm, the psalmist says, Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Sometimes you've just got to preach to, your, <laughs> preach to yourself. You've got to preach the gospel to yourself. You've got to preach the truth of God's love and faithfulness to yourself. And put your hope in him. And I tell you what, when you do that, it will fill your heart. He will fill your heart with praise. It, it won't just be like something you conjure up yourself on. No, no. He will fill you with his joy, his peace, his love, by his Holy Spirit. 
Hope will bubble up and rise within you. He will always be your saviour and your God. So there's always a reason to praise him. No matter what's going on in our world around us, no matter what's going on in your life or in the lives of people you love, we always have a reason to praise God. I'm going to invite the music team to come up and uh, we will pray. And then we'll sing our final song, which is Come, People of the Risen King. Lord, praise you. Lord, thank you for this song. Sometimes the greatest truths, Lord, are in just such few and simple words. And Lord, we, we just bring before you now whatever it is that's going on in us or in our lives. We just bring that at the foot of the cross and we just place it before you, Lord. We know that you are faithful. We know that you will deal with anything that we bring before you. You'll get us through it, whatever it is, whether it's a trial, whether it's insecurities or doubts. Lord, challenge us every morning to look for your steadfast love and faithfulness. Lord, tune our hearts to your grace, as the psalmist, the hymn writer would say. And Lord, as we just come now to praise you, we come, Lord, to praise you as one people, redeemed by you. And we give you thanks, Lord, for your mercy shown to us in Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with praise, Lord, now, even as we sing this song, Fill us with joy and praise. Let us not be embarrassed or think about what the person next to us thinks about our singing. Let's just sing to you, Lord. Let us praise you, extol you, brag, make much about you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.